1: And today we're going to be talking about something that uh, not many people are talking about. A lot of this is going on, <laughs> I'd say, under the covers. Um, and that is love, love, divorce, and custody in the age of COVID-19. The uh, coronavirus, and particularly the lockdowns, have ha, been taking a very heavy toll on love. And this is whether you're single, dating, engaged, or married. You're either having too much togetherness or not enough. And also, we are our mental health is being impinged upon by so many things. The fear of contracting COVID-19 through sex is, you know, first of all, affecting relationships big time. But then just general things. Uh, the lockdowns, the stress of being in lockdown, the riots, the political divisiveness, the elections, all of these things that are going on in our crazy world are making us cranky and not in a very loving mood. So it's no wonder that divorce filings have been skyrocketing. And who do we go to to find out about divorce filings skyrocketing but the uh, Beverly Hills divorce attorney extraordinaire, Alexandra Leichter. Now, um, her her credentials are amazing. She is a partner in the Beverly Hills Family Law Firm of Leichter, Leichter, Morocco, and she has been a California State Bar Certified Family Law Specialist since 1980. She's been in private law practice for over 46 years. She's the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> She's a fellow of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers and a fellow of the International Academy of Family Lawyers and on and on. And um, she, being a top lawyer in Beverly Hills, uh, needless to say, she gets to be involved with all the high-profile cases, um, all the big personalities, the big egos, and high conflict. So, since the pandemic began, her phone hasn't stopped ringing. And she's going to tell us today <laughs> about the good, the bad, and the ugly behind the scenes or under the covers of what's going on, uh, not just in Beverly Hills. I'm sure, I'm sure you don't just have uh, cases from people who live in Beverly Hills, right, Alexandra? All over, not only just Los Angeles but because of the zoom i now have cases from san francisco san mateo from all over the state and i only practice in california <laughs> uh-huh well um yes <laughs> and and uh she was talking about how yesterday she was on uh involved in a case on zoom that lasted 8 hours or was it right yes the nine trial itself what did you say? the fourth the fourth day of trial and it went from nine o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night, with a half hour for lunch. And I didn't have time to have lunch. So uh, the problem—the problem with Zoom trials—is that they think you've got all day and all night. So instead of stopping at four thirty or four fifteen, as they do in court, you get to go on. This was a private judge and a private—I uh, mean, it was a trial on one particular issue, and it took four days to try. It. So, wow! Um, but that's the way it works. But it's funny that you say about uh, the increasing number of cases. Uh, I'm a member of a study group, family law study group, and when this COVID locked us all down, we have uh, we have once a month meetings. So we now we had Zoom conference meetings, and everybody was so worried that we're not going to have uh, divorce cases, and we're going to have to let our associates and our help uh, go, and what are we going to do with our, um, with our offices, and so on. I said, wait a minute, guys, hold on. I think this COVID is going to increase your practice at, like you can't believe, and I was 100% correct. I have more calls per day than I have gotten, you know, probably in the last uh, previous couple of years. And a lot of it, as you indicated, has to do with custody cases, with people who are being locked up, with uh, people who probably should have gotten divorced before but haven't even realized how bad their marriages were in the first place. Uh, kids who are either being abused, or if they are already custody, uh, they've been separated, and there are custody orders, and they have fights over whether the child should be going over to the other parent's house when this COVID is is rampant, and the other party has a girlfriend or boyfriend who also has a child who they share with another party, and whether they're going to be spreading the COVID. I mean, it is uh, the the uh, amount of problems that this COVID had spawned in the family law field is unbelievable. So I'll give you a chance to ask me what you'd like, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) You can just keep on talking. Um, Well, I I do want to talk about custody, of course, but let's start from the beginning. Let's start with the people who are calling you uh, because they're thinking about getting a divorce. What are the typical kinds of things? What are some stories or some cases? I know, of course, you can't mention names, but um, what are some of the stories that you're hearing? Well, the ones that are here, we're hearing more than we used to hear before, is they simply cannot. That, uh, by the way, it usually isn't the COVID that started the divorce process or the desire to separate. It's just that that was the final clinch, the final key in the door that opened up what was wrong with this marriage. Because now they've been locked up for whatever period of time and they realize they just can't stand each other. And remember, in California, we have no fault divorce. So you can't just go in there and say, Your Honor, I want a divorce because my husband does this or my wife does that and they're cheating and they're doing this and they're doing that. By the way, a lot less cheating going on because everybody is so scared of the of COVID. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> but because we cannot tell the court what has been wrong uh, in the marriage. We have no-fault divorce, which means irreconcilable differences have arisen to cause the irremediable irremediable breakdown of the marriage. Uh, The only time we really can talk about some violence or some abuse that has occurred or how bad the other person was is if we include with that divorce uh, filing or we file it in advance, a request for domestic violence restraining order. And that's the mm. only time we can really talk about what bad things the other one has done. And the other time is when you have custody cases and then they put in the kitchen sink, even though it may not be relevant how many times the other party went out and screwed and, and uh, went and... Um, Lost their money and gambling and so on and so forth. Losing the money and gambling has to do with property and support issues. But um, Uh any violence, violence toward the other party or violence uh, or abuse or neglect of the child has to do with custody cases as well. So those are the kinds of things that, uh, kinds of calls that I get. And interestingly enough, invariably, the calls start with, you know, I've been thinking about divorce for a long time, but with this COVID lockdown, I'm going out of my mind. What can I do to get out? What can I do to save the kids from this relationship? What can I do to get myself uh, free? And so out comes a whole litany of problems, which you now have to deal with, not necessarily in court, but you have to deal with as far as the party is concerned to see what you can do to ameliorate the problem. Now, why do I say ameliorate the problem? The courts were closed for a period, family law courts especially, were closed from March 14, I think it was, until pretty much the end of July or beginning of August. We could get restraining orders for domestic violence and some other restraining orders to prevent kidnapping of children, but that was about it. It was not likely for us to be able to get a hearing in court to get custody filing, to get temporary support, to get temporary custody orders, unless, of course, there was some kind of a violence or really, really extraordinary circumstances of the child um, being threatened to be kidnapped. So what does that mean to the family law community? What does that mean to the litigants who are in the throes of wanting to kill each other at least to separate and not kill? Is that They have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to go. We now have cases that were filed. I have one case, for example, in which I had filed a request to modify uh, support because the support was too high and COVID wiped out a lot of the income and so on. The next hearing, the hearing on that issue is set now for February of next year. Oh, wow. And if we want any kind of a hearing, now the judge, the presiding ju- the supervising judge of the family law department in LA County, for example, said, well, we'll give you a hearing, up to five day hearing before January or February. But how are you going to get a decent hearing when you can only do it by telephone? We don't even have a Zoom like uh, conference in most of the, uh, or hearings in most of the courtrooms. In L.A., uh, and certainly not even in L.A., uh, downtown L.A., which is the most sophisticated of all, and the other outlying L.A. county courts have maybe phone calls and maybe not. I had a hearing a couple of weeks ago with a judge involving a uh, an issue of uh, that was of great importance in a custody case, and I got dropped on the phone call, and I couldn't get back on for 15 minutes. In the meantime, the judge was saying things I have no idea what the judge was saying.
2: So Uh it is
1: extremely difficult to get things done. So, frankly, I'll tell you what I do when I get these calls about, can I get out of this marriage, can I move, can I do this, can I do that, as I would say, See if you can see a therapist to get this resolved, at least pending the court opening widely. And by the way, the court is not opening yeah. widely, because I don't think that under the continuing COVID problem, we're going to have courts that will be open where you can walk into court and have a hearing. Because even though courts are not allowed to be closed, and even though The courts are allowing people to go into court to get their hearing held. There is a strong recommendation by the supervising judge and all the judges down there that we don't want to see you. We don't want you in court. If you're going to be in court, you're going to be at least six feet away from your client. How are you going to pass your client notes? and then if the other side is going to yes. be by video or audio, what if they get, uh which is what happened in one of my cases, uh you get caught, you get um, disconnected, and, and the other side is talking, and you have no idea what it is they said, and your client uh, says, oh. well, why didn't we go down to court and have that whole thing? Because I'm not going to be exposed. But that doesn't mean that the other side doesn't lend themselves, nor does it mean that the judge is going to tag you about it. But it is strongly discouraged. Nobody wants to go down there and the atmosphere is so poor, you just don't want to go and make your appearance. Now, If you had a Zoom-like appearance like I did yesterday with a private judge, private judges do have those. The courts do not in family law, not yet. But even that way, look at it this way. You're going to have a Zoom conference where you have one picture of each person, each party, the judge, and everyone else. Well, by and large, it works okay, but there are a lot of problems with things like passing notes to your client or telling them what to say that that the judge doesn't even hear, um, things like that. The problem with being in court in person is that you have to wear a mask. And you wear a mask. How is the judge going to read your expression, and how are you going to read the judge's expression? Which, by the way, uh-huh. is a very important aspect of going to trial. Because if you can't read the judge making a smirk or a smile, uh, so that you can <laughs> change tactics, so you can change your your the way that you're you're talking about things, then how are you going to represent your client properly? If you don't hear the inflection yes. on the other side and you don't see the witness's face, that's a major setback. Yes. So think yes, about all absolutely. those issues we have to de- deal with in this age of COVID-19. I want to tell you something. I'm so done with it. <laughs> yes. I am done with yes, this COVID. I know. I know, and I'll tell I you know. something else. Um I happen to have a phenomenal marriage. My husband, when he goes, he's going straight to heaven, will not pass, go, or collect $200. But when, when we first started with this COVID and we were staying in our... Um, beach condo, the small condo, and he was on the Zoom with his client or his uh, office, and I had to be on uh, the living room, and I had to be on my Zoom, so I had to pull, take my stuff over to the bathroom in order to have this uh, Zoom conference. It was too much togetherness. Thank you very much. <laughs> now I go, now I go to the, the office, and, you and he goes... <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I was just going to say, it's no fair that you got relegated to the bathroom. Well, we need to uh, take well, a break. No, it, was, <laughs> the it was just break. that he started, he started first on his conference uh, a half hour uh. before I did. So then I was relegated. I so then I said, you know what, we go back to our house. And then eventually we migrated to the office. Uh, where he's the only one in his office. He's a lawyer, too. He's the only one in his office, but he's not family law. Uh, He's the only one in his office, and my son and I are the only ones in my office, and my secretary comes in every once in a while, and then everybody has to wear that goddamn face mask, which is like, give me a break. I want to hear, but you know what? At least if it saves us, I'll be happy to wear it. So that's the story in a real quick (laughs) summary. <laughs> I think I gave too much information, okay. well, we, but well but And me. we need to take a break right. We need, this is a good place to take a break, uh, which okay. we need to do, but when we come back we will be talking more with Alexandra Leichter and getting into more of these stories. I want to ask you about... Um, you know, like what some of the things are that they're saying. I I agree with you about this being the key in the door, but but we'll talk more about that when we come back. Again, my guest is Alexandra Leichter, top Beverly Hills uh, family law attorney. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and we'll be right back.
2: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspiring really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
0: welcome back to dr carol's couch if you have a question or comment for dr carol dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show here's dr carol lieberman
1: yourself off yet and welcome back Dr. Carol Kaus. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about love, divorce, and custody in the age of COVID-19 with my guest, Alexandra Leichter, top Beverly Hills family law attorney. She has seen it all. And we're talking about the kinds of things, uh, you know, how how things have changed. Well, besides uh, her calls skyrocketing since uh the lockdown, actually, and yes, um, Alexandra, like you were talking about before, that is what I have been seeing that um, that people well a number of different things that people who were sort of bumbling along um, you know more or less seeming like they are not thinking about divorce in any case, necessarily uh, or actively, um, and then they were put in lockdown. And with instead of um, either both people going to work or one person going to work, here they were uh, both husband and wife in the house, and um, all. Of the, some of them would look at each other and think, like, "Who is this person who I married? I don't have anything <laughs> in common with them anymore. Why? Why? Who? Why did I marry this person?" And then other people would be fighting, arguing. Um, you know uh, and I mean, it's just it was the, the change that um that made couples look at each other more, like like do i do, do I really want to be on a on an island with you? you know, do I want to be trapped on an island with you? and um in a lot of cases, they started saying no, and that's when they called you <laughs> right um, <laughs> what kinds of things? What kinds of things were they saying? I mean, I know you were talking about how it doesn't really matter what, unless it's uh, abuse, it doesn't really matter about what they're finding fault with, that that it doesn't come into court. But what were the people complaining? About? Well, first of all, was it mostly men or mostly women who called you? No, I have uh, an equal percentage of uh, cli- of male and female clients, so it didn't make any was uh, It was about the same. It didn't make a difference. Uh, I didn't even see a change of you know from one sex to the other in terms of who was calling. And the and uh-huh. the issues that they complained about were pretty much the same. I can't stand them anymore. She is driving me up a wall. Let me out of this. That, that that's basically it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, uh-huh. having said that. And having uh, told you before about the problem with the court, we can file for divorce. We do have an opportunity to file things with the court, but interestingly enough, I had I had a case in which just very recently in which we filed for uh, a petition for divorce, and the client kept saying, calling uh, every other day, uh, "Have they have you filed it yet?" I said, "We filed it, but I can't give you any response because the court hasn't given us the filing. It took them about three or three and a half weeks to get us back the filing." when we got it back, it was stamped the day that we actually did file it, but they just couldn't get around to putting it in the bin or even putting it online so that we could access it because now we can access a lot of our files online, but we couldn't get it. So these are the kinds of things that we are encountering, and um, you know, th- with the petition for divorce, very often the issue of when you're filing has a lot to do with the date of separation, whether it's a ten-year marriage or a nine-and-a-half-year marriage. So, uh, what is mm. the difference between the two? Is the amount of spousal support the payor has to pay. So if it's a 10-plus year marriage, it's going to be probably, most probably, a lifetime support order against the party that is earning more money or is the only one earning. If it's a nine-year marriage, it's going to be one-half the length of the marriage. So that makes a huge difference financially when you're going to file. And so sometimes you rush to file to make sure you get under that 10-year wire and, oh, uh, no. and the, the courts are, you know, stymieing you because, you know, they don't have the, the wherewithal, they don't have the personnel in order to get this going. So there are myriad problems, and you have to remember, Carol, that when we uh, do things in connection with family law, people think it's oh, it's a bunch of custody and divorce. Who cares? You know, just emotional stuff. No, it's not emotional stuff. Not just emotional stuff. It has a lot to do with particular financial issues, uh, with types of of uh, of. Uh, uh, things like we have to know everything about not everything but we have to know to spot the issues having to do with corporate law with probate with with um, financial uh information with uh with corporate with um, uh, uh, retirement with all kinds of things that we are not capable and we're not trained to actually deal with but we are trained to recognize it so that we can call someone else and say what do you think of this and what do you think of that well so what happens uh-huh. we have an issue coming in and you know you've got to get a hold of someone who is a uh, an, a practicing good attorney on the other side and what do you get the freaking phone number uh, it says well dial two for uh, information and then dial the uh, the, um, the the person's first and last d- digits and then you get called on to the other because nobody is in the office. Uh, you have no idea uh-huh. how difficult it is to get these things going, whereas we took it for granted before March 13th. It didn't make any difference. We just called. We got answers. We got people on the line. We got information done for our client. We were able to determine when and if to file. We were able to determine what it is that we wanted to file. Did we want to file a DV? Did we want to file for temporary custody? Did we want to wait for the other side to do that? Those were all things we took for granted because it was almost instantaneous. And now it takes freaking months, and the clients are screaming, what about my case? What about my case? I said, what do you want me to do? I'm not the court. It's, it is uh-huh. it is very hard on the lawyers, and nobody really understands how difficult it is on us. And the increase in the number of cases and the number of calls, uh, you know, wanting to get out or wanting to have help or wanting to have things done for them is, is mind-boggling. And this is all due to COVID-19, with or without the face mask. So do um, the people who call to see when, you know, has it been filed? right? People are still, um, are there still, there are still process servers going out and serving the other party with the divorce papers, right? Yes, yes, there are, there are. But you first have to have the (laughs) the paper back from the court in order to have it served. So this, and this right. uh, in this particular but, instance, the most recent one, it took three and a half weeks, I couldn't get a process server up because I hadn't fi- the, the, we didn't get the paper back from the court that it's been filed.: Right. So of course that makes for increasingly awkward situations when you're locked down with someone and they get served with divorce papers. your spouse gets served with divorce papers. Right. Well, I will tell you what we normally do with or without COVID. Unless somebody is going to avoid service or unless it's going to be so acrimonious that it has to be done personally, we send out a letter together with the pleadings, the petition and the summons and all of the documents that we have to serve on them. We send it out by mail. And we send out a letter with it saying, look, we are trying to do this as amicably as possible. Please have your lawyer contact us so that we can negotiate certain issues and we can discuss issues that are important and relevant to the two of you that are should be handled right now. And here is a notice and acknowledgement of receipt. All you have to do is sign it, send it back, And that means you will have been served. Now, what do we care about the service? The service determines certain financial issues and certain custody issues. What is it? Once you file, you yourself file for divorce, you are bound by what is called an automatic temporary restraining order, restraining you from removing the child from the state of California restraining you from using uh, community or separate property or transferring bank accounts or transferring trusts, wills, and and things like that, Um, or using community funds and and dissipating them. So the person who files first, that person is restrained. The other party has not been served yet until they are deemed served, either by personal service or by signing a notice and acknowledgement of receipt are not bound by the automatic temporary restraining order. So we'll figure this one out. Let's say my client files for divorce and we try to serve the other side or the other side already knows that it's something coming. And in between they figure, you know what, I'm not bound by a restraining order. I can take the the child out Of the state of California now likelihood is we can get that child back but do you know how difficult it is to get court orders ordering that the child be retained at the uh, the child be returned and then having the other state or sometimes the other country be ordered to return yes, yes. The, the child. I mean, it, is, it, it creates tremendous, tremendous problems. So we kind of have to figure out whether we want to do a personal service so that the other side is immediately restrained or whether we just want to play nice, nice and say, why don't you sign that you have received it? So there are uh, these are all issues that are highlighted even more with this COVID-19 because sometimes yes, we just because, you cannot know, get it done. Well, because also, you know, whether it's in person with a process server or in the mail, you know, your husband goes down to get the mail and he comes back up with one of these letters. Right. Um, I mean, it's going to be hell, even if it doesn't devolve into... Um, Uh, domestic violence, I mean, just just living with that person, I mean, you know, it's hell because it's not so easy to move out. Especially, especially if it comes as a total surprise. Now, I find that in most cases uh, that I handle, the divorce is not a surprise. It's just the timing of it may be a surprise. But Uh uh, I think, by and large, we have very few cases where one or the other party says, "Oh my God, this came from, uh, from nowhere." Huh? Where did they, Where did this other Where did my spouse come up with this idea of getting a divorce? I thought we were going getting along so well, or at least we had before COVID, we had our own lives. I went to the opera. He went to the football game. I went to the museum. He went to, to go out drinking with his buddies. But there was no such thing anymore. COVID prevents people from having any outlet. They're, it's preventing people from having a social outlet where they can discuss things. Now, it's interesting. if uh, You may have done this study, Carol. I don't know how many women versus men use the Zoom to communicate with their friends. Now, I find uh, that most men don't have many buddies. And if they do have buddies, they go out drinking and they talk about nothing of importance. But women, on the other hand, get together before the COVID. They got together and they really had coffee clutches, which men couldn't understand, but which provided a social backing for their lives and uh, some comfort in in having someone to talk to about their issues, their problems, which relieved the anxiety, relieved the pressure, and yes. was and, and they were able to cope more. And now they're yeah, using, trying absolutely. to use Zoom, right? Trying to use Zoom, and aren't they doing the same thing with their friends? So to let off some steam, to find out whether somebody can back them up and say, you know, you're not alone, darling. I've had that same experience, and this is what I did with it, and so on and so forth. Men don't have that outlet. They would never talk about... And it's very rare, I think, I mean, from what I've seen, very rare for men to discuss their, you know, their personal emotional issues, which is why they need therapists in the first place. Yes, yes. No, that's true. I mean, for men, it's easier for them or the, to go to do things, like go to, to a game or something like that and have chit-chat in between, but, um, but women like to sit and talk and concentrate on the emotions of the problems or, you know, things in their lives. So when you can't go out and do things, um, the action, in other words, uh, it's harder for men to have that kind of um, social, you know, um, social conversation. Social opposite. correct. And, yes, and, and, and so then when then you're stuck in the house and you're kind of um, uh, expecting your spouse or your living girlfriend or boyfriend to be everything to you, you know. And, right. um, and that is not good either. And then, of course, this whole, oh, we'll get, we're going to have to stop for a break in a second, but in a minute, actually. <laughs> um, but another part of this that's so difficult is sex. Because no doctors, just like, you know, doctors really don't know about COVID altogether. You know, this whole thing is uh, uh, believing the CDC or the NIH or, you know, they're just <laughs> still finding out about stuff. So they don't really know about what is okay sexually and what isn't okay. So it's interesting that. Like you were saying at the beginning, that even though there isn't as much, uh, the people aren't having affairs as much, which is understandable—you know, not wanting to take a chance—that um, there is still this skyrocketing divorce. So it's not just right. about the affairs. No, I, I don't think it's the and affair that causes the-, the divorce. I think it's the it's their emotional breakup long before they even filed for divorce that that causes the the. Um, uh, the affairs. So the affairs are uh, a symptom, not the cause. Yes, yes. But sometimes, actually, uh, well, we'll have to take this up for the next.
2: Segment okay. Make a, a break. right.
1: <laughs> okay. um, we're talking today about love, and divorce, and custody, and sex in the age of COVID, with my guest, Alexandra her top Beverly Hills family attorney. So stay tuned.
2: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787.
1: Thank you for calling.
2: VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline.
1: We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are, at home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google.
0: Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn.
1: It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work.
2: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about love, divorce, and custody in the age of COVID-19. And before the break, I started talking about sex. Um about how doctors really, you know, can't say what is safe and what isn't safe and how that does cut down on affairs because, uh, but but we were talking about whether the affair, you were saying about how affairs are a symptom. Um, sometimes, though, you know, somebody will have an affair. I mean, yes, it is a symptom, but sometimes someone will have an affair in sort of a, you know, in a, uh, an unthinking moment or a weak moment or whatever and really didn't have any intention of continuing that relationship and yet the wife or the, usually it's the wife who finds out about it and and, and wants to, a divorce, you know, which um, sometimes relationships can be saved after there has been uh infidelity. I mean, what have you found? Yes, they can be saved, but they teeter on the edge. And I'll tell you why. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Very often, the party who has been wronged, I I use that word, uh, by the others' uh, extramarital affairs is always on the lookout for the possibility that it is going to happen again or is happening again, which means they never learn to trust as innocently as they did before learning of the affair. So that means I found a lot of cases where people come in and tell me, I don't want to get a divorce yet, and I hope never to get a divorce. But my husband or my wife is having an affair or was having an affair, and we had therapy, and he or she claims they're not going to ever do that, and it was this and that and whatever. But I want to be prepared for what happens in the event that we really have to separate, or he or she is doing it again, and so on and so forth. Whereas before learning of the affair, they would, would never have even thought of going to a divorce lawyer to find out what their rights and obligations are. And interestingly uh-huh. enough, one of the things that they do find out, if they uh, decide to ask, is how they have to be prepared for the financial uh, circumstances are the fallout of a possible divorce, or filing, or even not filing, but having money spent on the girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, whatever yes. the case may yes. be, and how they can prevent, how they can find out about it, how they can prevent it from doing so, and how it'll give them a leg up finding out about their finances. One of the things I used to lecture uh, to um, a college student is how you protect yourself in your relationships, in your marriages, uh, by learning how to take care of your finances. Don't expect your husband or your wife to take care of the finances for you because you're going to find out. If they die or you get divorced, you're going to be up a creek without a paddle. Yes. yes, And it's even more important now yes fam um couples where you know they they give the charge of the money um, to the wife or the husband, and you know like they like to the one spouse likes to be rid of the responsibility of it but then <laughs> then during a divorce they realize that was a mistake well let's um talk in the time we have left I, let's talk about custody because that is really. Uh, You know, divorce is sad, heartbreaking, and so on, but the real tragedy of divorce is the impact on the children. Absolutely right. And people don't want to recognize that. They think that children are property, and so they can do whatever they want with the children because the children belong to them. And very often, custody battles have to do with, and I hate this word, My child, my daughter, my son. And every time I have a client who comes in with this, I always uh, correct them from the first moment. It's not yours alone. It's our child, our son, Mm -hmm. our daughter. And the minute you say that, they look at you like you're from outer space. And they continue going yes. back repeatedly to my, 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 as if that child is yeah. property. And you will find that if, and I'm sure you have the same thing in mm-hmm. your practice, Carol, that when they say the word my, they are taking possession of the child and they think that they can do with that child whatever they want. Now, we used to have a law in California. It is no longer the law, but there was a law for a short period of time that... Uh, the courts favor joint custody, joint equal custody. Now, that's no longer in law, but generally speaking, that is still exactly what the courts do. So they start out with the premise that if you're going to split, you're going to split the children equal custodial time unless, you have some evidence showing that it is not good for the child, and I emphasize not good for the child, because they don't care about, and these custody cases, they don't care about the parents. What they care about is what the effect of a custodial arrangement is going to be on the child. So now let's let's fast forward this to COVID-19, because what has happened in this interim seven-month period we have been under almost a total lockdown, or most of it, is that the children are home, the children are being supervised and Zoomed and and videoed, and everything else has to do with the child being isolated from everyone else. They are lucky if they have siblings that they can get along with and they are closer to their age. But I pity the single soul child or the child... That has a sibling that really is not close enough to their age, so that they can play with them and, and they can communicate with them, because it is an extremely wearying, horrifying thing to be home with the children twenty four seven have no outlets, and those children don 't have any more friends, they have no contact, anything, and that personal contact is very, very important and all they do is they do their exercises as taught to them on the zoom, and they do their their work school work, if they 're old enough on the zoom so and the parents are ready to tear their hair out, whether the parents are doing their own thing from home or that whether the parents are concentrating on taking care of the children, whether the children are too young or whatever it may be. It is an enormous amount of pressure we have never experienced in our lifetimes. Never. And I'm not a young chick. So what we have done in this COVID-19 is we have exacerbated a custody problem that has never before been seen. Now, there have been an increase in domestic violence, including um, violence on the children, because the parents are so frustrated and parents who may be reasonable and who may think before they are, um, they normally would think before they do anything or, or raise their hand, just lash out because they're upset with the other parent, they're upset with the child, they're upset with their circumstances and they have no outlet. And the amount of cases I get in which there is a charge of, I need to get out, I need to take my child, I have to get out of this situation, and the child has to get out, and when I tell them, let's start with, why would you say that the other parent wouldn't have equal custodial rights, and they are horrified, and then they're horrified with the situation if they already have custodial rights that have been arranged, and they would be equal or temporary or whatever uh or uh minimal it doesn't make any difference courts do not allow parents to be isolated from their children and as uh, we used to say even an ex-murderer is entitled to see their child even mm-hmm. while they're in the in the that lockup so you have uh-huh. situations where um where when you say to the other parent, well, you know, the, that other parent is going to be able to see, your, see their child. And if that other parent has a boyfriend or girlfriend who has other children or, or even not, they're going to be exposed to this COVID. Now, the first two or three months were absolutely horrifying. I'm going to tell you this. I got so many calls from existing clients who said, I'm not going to allow my child our child, I would say, to go to the other party because the other party has uh, you know, people coming in and out. They have housekeepers, they have nannies, they have this, they have that. They're exposing the child to COVID. And at at that time, we didn't even know what the effect of this COVID was on children in the first place. So I think we have calmed down a little bit about it. But I canvassed several judges At the when when this thing first started, and I started getting when COVID first started, and I started getting calls from parents who had custodial arrangements with the other parent, and they refused to allow the child to go to the other parent because of possible exposure. And you'd be surprised. I would say I probably canvassed at least ten judges or retired judges who have been in the family law department. And guess what they said? Each of them said something totally different from the other. Huh. So they mm-hmm. didn't know either. So if when you go into court and ask for custody, it's a crapshoot. That's why judges say, you want me to decide the custody of your child that you have lived with for I don't know how many years, and I get to hear this testimony for yeah, maybe two hours yeah. or maybe even two days. I've never met your child. I'm not going to meet your child. But you expect me to make a decision that will be life-altering for that child? Think about it. I'm going to send you to a therapist. I'm going to send you to an evaluator. I'm going to send you to see if you can... Family services to see if you can settle the case between yourselves because you know this child better than I ever possibly could. But I will make that decision if you force me to do that. And it is even more life-altering now in COVID-19. Yes, yes. And, of course, uh, and we only have a minute left, um, but I just want to say, of course, some parents use this, uh, I can't possibly let my child go, you know, to his father. Uh, as a way to just keep the child more, you know, not wanting to give the child to the uh, other parent for the normal visitation, you know, using COVID as an excuse. A lot of people do that too. Absolutely. Well, okay, you are a delight. <laughs> you are a delight. Oh, thank you. Um, I so are been... you, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I have been coming across some of these things too, uh, trying to do, trying to testify at a trial um in in Louisiana, in New Orleans by um by Zoom for oh. example, um, where you can't see anybody in the in the court. You, you know, you can't really see, because there's there are little scraps on the screen. That's right. <laughs> but, so and other kinds of things. <laughs> So, yes, it, it uh, does bring challenges, but um, that's what life makes life interesting. Well, I'm sure as you all were able to hear, Alexandra Lights there, my guest, um, really knows every which way about what's been going on with love, divorce, and custody in the age of COVID and any other age. And hopefully, hopefully, we'll be getting back to the regular age eventually. So, thank you so much, Alexandra.
2: And my thank you all pleasure, for You've been
1: listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.